Hello, welcome to the new episode of SupplyCast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, I'm joined by Keir Warner, who's from the NHS Wales, of course. I guess a lot of people know that. A lot of people will know Keir. You're head of procurement at Swansea Bay University Health Board. Uh, I'm quite proud of myself there, Keir, because when you're mm-hmm. not from Wales, the 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 desire to go into a Welsh accent when saying any area of Wales, <laughs> if you're not Welsh, yeah. is quite strong. It's quite strong. I think I did it when I was talking to Mark Rosgrove, our chairman at HCSA. Um, and then, of course, halfway through that pod, he dropped the extraordinary bombshell, which I think caused ripples around the global procurement community, which is that Mark is not technically actually Welsh. Nope. Extraordinary stuff. Yes. Now, Kit, no such problem with yourself. <laughs> No, I think my, my accent gives me away, even, um, <laughs> even though I've got a, a Scottish name. But yeah, born and bred in Wales, Welsh speaker, so I went to Welsh school and all that good stuff. So, And you're yeah. in the Ronda, Ronda, aren't you? Yeah, that's where I live. So I live in, live in the Ronda. I'm, as you've said, I work for Swansea Bay Health Board. So um, I work for NHS Wales Shared Service Partnership, but on behalf of Swansea Bay Health Board. Yeah, um, yeah I, I live around sort of 30 miles from my office. So, yeah, bit of bit of a bit of a trek. We yeah, have born and bred in the Ronda. I moved moved around a little bit after university, but uh, back living there now. Everyone assumes that you're Welsh. You're from the Ronda and all that. You live there. Everyone assumes you've got a fantastic singing voice. Can you confirm? <laughs> or, can you confirm or deny that? Well, I, I used to be in a male voice choir as an artist. Brilliant. Um, I love when, it. When, I was, yeah, when I was about sixteen, but no, I my voice was very much suited to being hidden. Amongst other voices, to be honest, I haven't got a good singing voice. Kit, I um, I, I got to know you a little bit at the uh, HCSA conference for the first time because obviously it was the first face-to-face conference for for a little bit, and I got to meet you. We were chatting about a few things. There was a couple of things that um, I became aware of about you that I thought was going to be really interesting to talk about. Um, before we go into them, I'm going to ask you about how you got to be where, where you are because you're a young man you're one of these young procurement people aren't you Keir? <laughs> well really I, yeah I've been older than what I look if I'm being honest it's good 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 uh, good genetics from my mother <laughs> um yeah so I, I I I'm one of these um I, I suppose pro- probably becoming more common now but certainly when I started in in procurement um so I studied purchasing supply chain management at university mm-hmm. um I I knew I was, you know, I was really interested in in school in sixth form around sort of business studies in that area. I liked that kind of subject area. Um, and yeah, like it was essentially a conversation with my careers advisor who said, well, you know, procurement's a, a, a growth area becoming a lot more prominent. You know, this is going back, gosh, 22 years ago, probably now. It's quite a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and so I, you know, I sort of, sort of decided to study, um, yeah, procurement at the university. Um, so I did that. Um, then did a couple of sort of jobs through agencies. So I worked in some, some you know, a couple of sort of um, supplies departments in factories. And I, I came into the NHS. I had a, um, an agency job for Valindra NHS Trust as a, as a filing clerk. Uh, so that was a band one job at the time. I don't think a band one doesn't exist anymore. So we're talking a while, as I said. 
um, yeah, and kind of just progress from there. Then you know, I, I I suppose there's a bit of luck involved as well in that. I mean, quite a lot of people will study something in university, and then maybe that kind of subject area or something related isn't isn't right for them. You know, because we're you know we typically could you know. Um, the typical journey is people are young deciding on on what they're going to study um, in university. So I, you know, I, I am quite fortunate as well as they they do genuinely enjoy procurement. They enjoy public procurement. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, they love working for the NHS. So those things kind of came together quite nicely. That's great. That's great. Did you do you find where you are at the moment? Is that where where would you say you are in in terms of your career? Um, do, do you have uh, do you have future goals in particular? That you're looking at? Are you looking to? Would you like to stay in um, healthcare procurement? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, you know, I've, I've had, uh, you know, again, you, you mentioned my kind of my, my age earlier. I did, I did have quite a quick progression, being quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly there's some way to go on my journey. Absolutely, I don't see myself working outside of health procurement. Mm-hmm. As I've said, you know, and I do, and yes, it's a bit sentimental, I know, but I do, you know, I do take. A massive amount of pride and pleasure in working for the NHS. You know, it's a yeah. um, it's an organisation that I, I love. It's been um, you know for re- for we'll probably come on to this later. But, you know, it's been incredibly good to me and my family. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I'm happy to work for and support that organisation. Do you know what, Ken? I'm gonna I'm gonna go straight into it because you've kind of um, left a little uh, intro for me there. You're talking about the NHS and how much um, pride you have working for the NHS and how much. Um, you owe the NHS, I suppose, is what is what you're saying there. Yep. One of the things that I found out about you that that really I thought was quite extraordinary. You'd have to forgive me, Kit, because I do think um, you had a situation over the last couple of years which is quite extraordinary. Because it, even if everything in in the world and healthcare procurement and the land of uh, you know uh, global viruses was normal and we'd never ever heard of COVID-19 let alone Omicrons, Deltas and lateral flow testing and all these these various things you still would have had a quite extraordinary period over the last couple of years that really would have been uh, you know incredibly challenging for most people I'm obviously going to let you you get into that uh, I just wanted to say, first off the bat, that I actually spoke to Kit prior to recording this to say, are you happy talking about the stuff stuff that happened? Because some people, you know, some people that have gone through what you have, and it was a it was a serious cancer diagnosis, and also it was a significant bereavement at the time of of, of COVID, really, throughout the whole period of COVID, really, yeah. that initial first hit of COVID. So a lot of people wouldn't want to re- revisit that and I totally would understand that but I asked you about it and I know that you were very keen to talk about it because you were very keen to, to perhaps offer experiences that mm. might help other people who are in similar situations which I think is extraordinarily generous of you and probably sums up you know you know what a good guy you are if you excuse me for making you blush podcast <laughs> but yeah. anyway if I can take you back to that that period um, in terms of the, the the health issue that came up, this is right. This is this is right, literally at the beginning yeah. of COVID coming to this country, isn't it? And it started in quite an innocent way, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, shall I, shall I take it from the top? Yeah, yeah take so, it from the top, mate. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, so Christmas 2019, I hadn't been feeling great. Um, you know, just just generally, you know, really tired and stuff. But you put that down to kind of work and having a busy life, you know, as, as yeah. we've all got. Um, but I did have a pain in my leg. So the top of my thigh, just, you know, kind of a dull pain. Anyway, got through, you know, so Christmas happened. I, the pain started getting progressively worse. Um, went to the GP and they kind of said, well, you know, we, we, we don't know. We might, you may have pulled the muscle or something. And I, I knew it wasn't. I played rugby for kind of 15 years. Yeah. You know, and I know what a muscle pull feels sure. like, but anyway, um, give it a week. It was just getting worse. Went back. They thought they had a hernia, referred me. And then, um, so this, so by this point, we're getting to kind of the um, third, fourth week of January 2019. Um, I, my mother lived a couple of streets away from me at the time. So 2020, wouldn't it? 2020. 2020, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 2020. Um, went, to, went, went for a walk um, one evening, really cold, and uh, to see my mother. Uh, on the way back, my leg just literally locked up. And I mean, my leg just went boked stiff as I was as I was walking back to, to my house um so uh, you know you know at that point this is just this, this shouldn't be happening um I was 37 you know it's just not right uh rang the out hours GP um they uh went down to the Royal Glamorgan Hospital which is my local sort of DGH um and yeah from that point um bit of a whirlwind really so that was the Monday night I I will name drop it, although I doubt she's going to have the time to listen to this, but the, a doctor called Dr. Speed. Um, so, you know, the, the name is, is apt. From seeing her on the Monday night by Wednesday uh, Wednesday afternoon after biopsies, CT scans and um, uh, ultrasounds, yeah, they told me I had lymphoma. So, and specifically, it was stage 3 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a, which is a blood cancer. So from going from a, a pain in the leg to, you know, to probably, you know, probably by then it was, yeah, four weeks or so, two visits to the GP and, and uh, as well. Um, yeah, just been told you had cancer at 37. What, what, um, what does that feel like? What does it feel like when yeah. you hear that word? It's, I guess it's, it's the nightmare scenario, is it not, for everyone? I mean, we've all been there. You know, I've had, I've had, I've had relatives that have had it. I've had relatives who've had scares you know i think everyone's had the scare of one yeah. type or another it's the it's this nightmare fuel isn't it if you hear that word what was yeah, what, I, what did you feel like when you first heard it well i and i've you know i've spoken to, to friends and family about, about this exact thing as i think it's one of the worst words that someone can say to you quite honestly yeah. um yeah. you know and you you know i you know just the emotion of hearing that word the one of the most difficult things so she took you know, I knew it was serious to diagnosis because I, mean, I was in the waiting area. The doctor speed came to invite me into the consultation room, and there was a nurse with her. So I knew at that point, if yeah, I'm yeah, being, yeah, I thought, yeah. you know, this isn't going to be good. Um, is, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, that was that was difficult, and I was difficult, and I was upset as you'd expect. You know, probably the more difficult bit of all that I was falling in. Then my my parents. Um, I've also got a, a daughter who's six now. She was she was four at the time. Mm. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm separated, but you know, I, I co-parent my daughter. You know, so bring in, bring in my daughter's mother, um, around my best mate, um, and rang Mark Rossgrove was one of the, the first people I rang, and just you know, having those conversations. Yeah. Um, 
wanting some assurance of people that it's going to be okay. But you've got, you know, what was really difficult was between getting that diagnosis, which was on the Wednesday, and then had an appointment with hematology on the following Wednesday. And that's when they were going to look at the biopsies because you're told, you know, I, one of the first questions I had was, what's the, what's the prognosis? And they just couldn't tell me at that sure. time. They had to go through all the analysis and that, that is probably one of the longest weeks of my life. Yeah. Between being told you've got this awful disease that touches so many of our lives and knowing whether actually there's a chance that you might be okay and you just I was, don't know. You know. I was going to say that. I was going to say, I, I guess if, if that happens and someone says the C word to you, um, I've, you know, I think everyone, I mean, most people probably think about, especially if they've known somebody who's gone through it, think, well, how would I react? I think most people would think at first you'd be obviously in shock but then you'd be thinking, well, you know, it's it's 20, 2020 in your case when you got it. So there's a lot of things that developed a lot in terms of cancer treatments. Yeah. Um, you, you're unlikely to know a lot about that particular cancer. So you don't know what the prognosis is, what's tight, what, what you know, what, what are the chances and all yeah. that. So I can, I, I can imagine that that week was key, just knowing, OK, I've got it. I can't do anything about that. But I can see what my chances of, of getting. Yeah, better. and that's it. And um, yeah, that so that following week couldn't come quick enough. And luckily, they told me that there was, you know, so it was advanced. Um, but it was, you know, it's kind of luckily for me, it's, it was a treatable cancer. And what what helped what helped me in a roundabout way is because of my being relatively young and, and otherwise, you know, fit fit and healthy. Mm. It meant that they could, um, you know, really blast me with chemotherapy. Yeah. So you know, I had a better chance, you know being young because my body was so I had to go through all, all, all of other tests then to check that my body was up for the for the treatment. Um it yeah. was. Um so yeah so I that happened. So we are talking now sort of early February. Um they put a treatment plan in place which was six rounds of chemotherapy. So every every three weeks I was gonna get blasted by this stuff. Um now uh, you know as you've you mentioned earlier at the same time we knew that coronavirus was in China, it just started getting quite bad in Italy as well mm-hmm. at this exact time. And some of the early some of the early kind of observations were, you know, around it was particularly, um, you know, for, for clinically vulnerable people, it was particularly dangerous. But blood cancer, so leukemia, lymphomas w- made you particularly susceptible to, you know, to being really ill if you call coronavirus. So, you know, I was in a, you know, in a, not in a, a good place when it comes to that in terms yeah. of the risk. Um, so treatment plan was in place and you know, I've got, got to thank sort of Comtaf, Morgano Health Board, which is my local health board in my hospital, who were, uh, how quickly happened from, to be fair, being diagnosed to being, starting my treatment was amazing. Um, I, you know, probably, the more, well, you know, one made this 10 times more difficult then. So I started my chemotherapy beginning of March um, and literally the day after my dad died. So he'd, he'd had a long-term illness. Um, he went into hospital for actually a biopsy, but the, something went wrong with that, and he, yeah, and he died. So waking up after my first chemo, my, my mother came to my house and kind of crying and said, we need to go to the hospital, you know, daddy's not going to make it. Um, so we got straight to the hospital, and yeah, he was. I managed to see him before he died, but uh, yeah, that was, that was it. So, you know, in terms of two days... Two two bad days, uh, yeah, pretty up there. Probably not going to get much worse in my life. How are you? How are you conceivably dealing with so much 
at one time? How were you doing? Was you com- was you compartmentalizing it? Were you yeah. trying to? Were you? Did you just simply force yourself into a positive mindset? Yeah. Were you were you using any mental health techniques? Were you just talking to people, or, or what, what were you doing? To yeah, I, I think. Look, I think you know. Obviously, you got the initial shock. To be honest, I think again, some, this is something I've thought about um, a lot. And, and you know, just thinking back, I, I did. I guess with that kind of thing. Um, I think my illness and my treatment helped a bit because I had something to focus on. And I was right. what I was keeping in my mind was that my dad would want me to get better and get through this. Sure. And that was a massive source of comfort for me. So it, was, it almost became a little bit if I want to do this for him, you know, yeah. and get through yes. this for him. So that was that was one of the kind of technique, although it was kind of subconscious at the time, I, you know. Um, I'd been into some sort of mindfulness for a while as well. So I went on I went on a course where they were doing stuff about mindfulness I don't know, five years ago, maybe. Um, so that, that certainly helped me. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's... it's you know, to think back and think how oh, oh, I got through it and dealt with it relatively, um, you know, relatively well is, yeah, it, it still surprises me sometimes looking back, if I'm being quite I mean, honest. It's difficult for you to talk about those aspects of it, I guess, but obviously, I mean, to me, it's extraordinary how you managed to come through that, and it's extremely difficult. It's interesting that you're saying about when you focus on um other things when particularly with the, you saying about losing your father but because of the illness you kind of had a different kind of focus there you know and I remember my, my mother died at a very young age and when I was a kid and I remember that my dad was so upset and then went into such a difficult place with it that I almost it, it kind of I reckon it was years until I really really dealt with it what happened to mum because I had other things to focus on so it's interesting that you've as you're saying with your cancer battle you took that and also more than that I guess it gave you added drive not that you needed it, it probably, bit, but yeah. to get through it yeah yeah, yeah and the I mean, mindful be, yeah go on I was just gonna say I think if I'm being honest as well once you know so on the on the cancer thing the treatment was successful just to close that a bit off um I had the you know got told I was in remission yeah. so I had all the scans and stuff the follow-up I was in remission August last year so August 20. Um, yeah, and I just have six monthly scans now. Actually, I've got my next round of scans at the end of this month, so I'll I'll be I'll be in a mood a bit nervous <laughs> the week before that. But, right. then, but to be honest, I think a lot of what happened with my father hit me after I had the all clear as well. Right. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And you know, and I so I couldn't go to the funeral like that. I couldn't go to my dad's funeral um, because I was just strongly advised. Bear in mind, this was at the height now of you know this was kind yeah. of. April 2020. So yeah. my doctor strongly advised. They said, "Look, we understand you're going to want to go, but just it's just too too risky." So my obviously my mother went, and my 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 best mates kind of represented me there. So that was you know eternally grateful for all that. Um, but it did hit me quite honestly through August last year. Apart from the initial, you know, after the initial euphoria mm. of all, you know, I'm, I'm okay and I'm going to be okay, and I got you know, um, and yeah, and it did, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. If I'm being honest, then in August, because it all come flooding back then. I, get that, I lost that focus a bit. You, you know? probably didn't start grieving till then. Probably. No, I think you're that's right. Thing, yeah. that's, that's exactly, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Just I mean, I think, I think that's a sort of, I think that's something that can definitely happen when those sort of situations are there, or if there's two things happening at once, you, you kind of have to concentrate on one thing. I guess it's the only way to get, to, to get through it. 
So you yeah. said that you've got you've got uh, an all clear in August, but then you've got your future um scans. Yeah, so follow-ups, you know, no. so bloods every guess, other month and that, every six does months. That go on, does that go on sort of Forever. I mean, I've got a couple of friends who, who who got through that, and they, I know, some years later, they're still they still have it. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. so it's every so it's as it is now for for two years you're in remission. So you know, all things being well, I'll be on this up to August this year, and then um, so you're you're under the consultant for five years. So they just become less frequent then mm-hmm. after the the two years. So um, so yeah, but it's just you know it's there for for five years really. The the follow up. Well, obviously, everyone's going to wish you the best of health and luck with going forward as well. But it's it's so great that it's so great that you came through that, um, and it really is quite. I, I find it extraordinary that you got touched by a lot of aspects of it. It wasn't just the fact that, I mean, purposely we haven't touched on what was it like working and then the COVID and all that because we, we've done that a lot on the podcast. But I wanted to just give this the full time. But obviously, you had uh, when you was when you was working. Obviously, there was lots going on, and then you've had that. And your father, the added fact that you couldn't go to the, go to the funeral, of course, which of course would have been, is always an important part of mm. uh, getting closure and and part of the bereavement cycle, which you, which you missed out on. You mentioned the mindfulness course that you were doing. Just out of interest, if anyone was going through similar situations, what would your advice be to them? I know everyone's different, but you mentioned the fact that you you'd been involved in some mindfulness courses. What helped you on that side of things? Yeah, I, you know, I, if I'm being honest, I was a massive skeptic. I was a massive skeptic about this. I was, you know, um, maybe, maybe, um, maybe sort of a bit too blokey to believe that this kind of stuff worked. Right. If I'm being honest, you know, just yeah. full disclosure. Yeah. Um, when a lot, it was it was a week long residential sort of um, leadership course, and this was one of the kind of things you could go to. So I went along in the protest. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think I'm, you know. In leading a busy life as I do, you know, in terms of work, life, family, now if I'm, I'm heavily involved with my local rugby club as a, as a committee member, um, you know, probably fair to say, don't really stop. Um, and just taking some time out for you. Um, I think there's, you know, taking stock of, of your day. So I find that really useful. No, I don't do it every day, but I try to do most days and just, you know, just take take half hour to reflect on what I've done today, what I've achieved, what would I do differently. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's an important thing because we're all too often things are in, in our head, we deal with them and they go straight out the other side because we're, we're yeah. dealing with something else. Sure. So I think that taking stock is massive. I think there's something there as well around, you know, one of the one of the reflections from my illness really and, uh, you know, and I'd never really thought about my own mortality before, before I had this news, quite honestly. You know, like I said, I was a, you know, fit and healthy kind of... Um, you when you're younger, do you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've done because it's you know we've got you've got forever to live avenue kind of mentality, and that's how you know um, that's how we that's how we viewed it ultimately. Um, you know, let's let's make sure we all make time for the things that are important and the people that are important to us. Because one of the massive things I learned through um, you know through my my kind of journey, I guess, um, over the last couple of years in particular, um, you know, when when the chips are down, there's only some people that will be there for you, and um, you know, so protect those relationships, makes time for those relationships. Um, you know, and without my my best mates and and, and my mother, um, would never have got through that. So, I I take you know, I put a lot more effort in now to making sure I appreciate those people, and those people know that I appreciate them. Um, 
You've got a mid time in your life for that, haven't you? So, and I know it's difficult. We've all got a heck of a lot going on, but um, yeah, protect the important relationships to you. Um, talk, I, I'm more open now with my my friends, in particularly. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of all valleys rugby boys at the end of the day. So, mm-hmm. whether we had a lot of conversation in the past about our emotions, how we were feeling about our our, our general health, probably didn't happen. I probably. Count on one hand how many of those conversations I had in the last 25 years. Um, no, I was on the, on the phone to my, my best mate last night. Um, and we were both talking about how we felt. And, and he said to me, you know, he was a bit down at the moment. And we just talked through that. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to talk. Don't be afraid to you know, use those relationships you've got, really. That, and, you know, that, that segues nicely into the fact that obviously in the last number of years, there's been a lot of campaigns, hasn't there, about, you know, this, this problem where men... Men often don't like going to the doctors, you know, when, when they've got, as you say, when you've got a very sort of blokey group, you don't tend to talk about mental health problems or how you're feeling internally. Um, and uh, that's one of those things. There's obviously been a lot of c- campaigns in recent years to, you know, for people to change and open up and talk about. So, I mean, it's interesting that obviously, I guess, as you say, probably friends of yours are more happy to open up to you now knowing that you've had that sort of experience um so it's that's great i think that's really great um care we're gonna move on to the last segment of the podcast now sort of i was gonna say like i was gonna say lighten things up a bit but do you know what i think i think um you know ultimately the it has a it's had a happy ending you're here you're 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 here you're there Swansea House Board, you're on the HCSA National Council, you know, yep. and, um, you, you know, and you're, you know, you're very uh, popular, uh, you know, I know you're a very popular member amongst your the teams that you work with and that. So it, it does have a, it does have a, a good story, a good, a good ending to the story. And also, I think the fact that you were so keen to talk about it, because I had to kind of like gin, gingerly ask around it because I didn't want to kind of yeah, you know, that. people are different, aren't they? But um, I think that's been, I think that will be just apart from anything else. I just think it will be incredibly useful for anyone that is going through, maybe has gone through, or might go through similar situations. With that yeah. being said, now I am going to now whisk you off <laughs> to our desert island for desert island supplies. Yeah, this, this, so, so it. I think it's it's not nice to have an, a little light-hearted bit at the end, uh, especially when you've been talking about some heavy but very necessary topics here. Uh, Desert Island Supplies, regular listeners to this podcast will know, I, I said in my best Radio 1 voice, <laughs> um, we ask whoever we're talking to, if he was on a Desert Island, you could take one luxury item, uh, one album by an artist, and one film which sometimes is a TV show, which is a bit of a cheat, but I've let, I've let it slide over the months. <laughs> what would they be? So first of all, Kim, I'm going to ask you about what your luxury item would be. Um, I mean, I, I know it's a, probably a bit of a stock, a stock answer in some ways, but, you know, my, well, my phone dash iPod, so just, just the music element of whatever yeah, device yeah. I could do. So yeah. I, I, know, I know that's not an original one, but I'm... A big, big, big music fan. Listen to you know, probably listen to three, four hours of music a day. Um, right. You know, at, at least really, and um, it'd have to be that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least I could in my mind somewhere else. Gonna. 
also we've taken care of the the issue of how you're going to play how you're going to listen to the music which is the music <laughs> you want to take with you which we haven't really addressed yet we've just assumed we've just assumed that the band appears magically or something <laughs> but but what would be so you listen to three four hours of music a day so this is going to be a tough question i'm imagining but yeah. if you literally but the whole point of it is if you could only take oh, that's a difficult question but if you could only take one album from an artist what would it be um is a yeah is a difficult one i think um and you know i think different different eras of your life you've got a different favorite album you know you know i can look at certain periods um you know the album i keep coming back to um i probably don't look like i'm a massive fan of this band but my chemical romance um three cheers for sweet revenge so that would yep. be my album so yeah just at a, a particular time in my life that was um you know, so probably talking in my mid twenties, probably early right. to mid twenties. Um, yeah, just an album that I keep coming back to, quite honestly, and one of my favourites, and plenty of songs from that album on my playlist. So it'd be that one. Very fine band and album. I definitely applaud that decision. We're going to go over to film or TV show. I mean, if you want to take a box mm-hmm. set, you can. I'll let you have it, Keir. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I'm not much of a film watcher, being quite honest. So I like I've got a few films I like. I'm much more into TV series. Pick a TV um, box so go, Yeah, box set. So I'm gonna go with that and I'm gonna say Band of Brothers. Okay, great. So great show. Yeah. It is. And th- to be honest, one of the one of the few T apart from when I was a child, I'm sure I, I cried at plenty of TV shows and films when I was a kid, yeah. and Bambi yeah. and all that. But um, Band of Brothers, so as, a, as an adult, you know, um, watching that, particularly at the end where um, characters in there shows the real life people that they played. And I just honestly, yeah. I just, I got really emotional and upset and just overwhelmed, being quite honest. So one of the few films that stirs that up and being like, you know, I like stuff around the Second World War. And mm-hmm. So apart from business studies in school, history was my other, they, they wanted to talk in the day level. So like my history, um, and yeah, just found a really um, brilliant show and really emotional. So Band of Brothers. Excellent. That's brilliant. So you've got, I tell you what, what, what a combo you got there. You've got Band of Brothers and My Chemical Romance. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliantly yeah. eclectic mixture. I love it. <laughs> Keir, it has been, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And, you know, thank you for your generosity in, in talking about your experiences there. I think, I think a lot of people are going to find that, and not only are going to find it very moving you talking about it, but, I think a lot of people also will find it um, incredibly uh, useful if they have relatives who've been through similar or they know someone going through it and that kind of thing. And I think it's given us, you know, a different viewpoint of what, as bad as things have been over the last couple of years around procurement, that there's individuals such as yourself that were taken on even more and having even more during that period. So I think it was, uh, it's really important that you were happy to talk about that. So thank you very much for your time and your your openness. Yeah, no, no problem. My pleasure. And like you say, it's, um, you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, isn't it? Keep positive. And look, I'm, I'm easily findable on the internet with a name like Kia Warner. So <laughs> if anyone listening to this or, or, you know, wants to talk about my experience or anything, or I can help in any way at all, then, you know, uh, more than happy to do so. Okay, I think you're a top man. Thank you for your time. Yeah, uh, that concludes. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Supply Cast. I hope you'll join us next week. Mm-hmm.